Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things art-related. This is episode 110, The Catch, by Matthew Yashung Balzer, recorded on October 14th, 2020. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good. You could have also called this the nepotism podcast. <laughs> I could have called this the all balls are all the time episode. I will say that I don't think our guest needs much introduction for the two of us, but maybe for some other people. Uh, I know him as my little brother, but uh, he is uh, not so little anymore. He's a grown adult and he has done something amazing and fantastic, which is he has finished his very first feature film which is going to make its debut at the Austin Film Festival next week, in fact, on the 22nd of October. So uh, he grew up outside of Boston in the uh, bedroom down the hall from me, and he learned to fish in the waters around Vinyl Haven, Maine. Matthew began writing screenplays while working at a bakery, and the pursuit of a hands-on filmmaking education took him to Los Angeles, where he took every job he could get on a film or TV set, and he has some very fun stories about those experiences. Uh, his feature script for The Catch received recognition at numerous film festival competitions, as well as receiving faculty honors from the Columbia University Graduate Film Program, which is where he got his MFA in directing. Uh, and he lives in L.A. for, I think, like a week now he's lived there uh, with his girlfriend and their son. So also the other thing you should know is my mother and I call him Matthew, and I think everybody else in his life calls him Matt. But we can't stop. So welcome, Matthew. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Hello, Mom. Hello, Matthew. It's so formal. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about um, basically your beginnings as a filmmaker. Like, how did you get started filmmaking? I'm personally thinking of some videos with Adam Barnowski, but you may have a much better story than that. Yeah, big shout out to Adam Barnowski. I believe uh, my first foray into filmmaking was in the seventh grade uh, in our basements. Uh, and, uh, you know, he had a high eight camera, which I think was cutting edge technology at the time. And uh, we made little short spoof videos and, you know, just playing with camera tricks and, you know, messing around. Um, I was in the children's theater, as I know you were, um, and as mom was a big part of. And I, I don't know that that had terribly much to do with it other than you know it was a place um i was encouraged in our household to try different things and and you know to be creative and and um you know that was definitely a part of my upbringing um and then what actually happened i think for me was uh, i thought i was going to be a writer i was going to write fiction that was really um you know something i was drawn to writing short stories um and Round about uh, after my sophomore year of college, I decided that I was going to leave college and I was going to write an American novel. So I dropped out of school and um, I drove uh, across the country in my grandmother's Buick that I had inherited uh, with my best friend at the time and my girlfriend and settled briefly in California for the first time. Um, by the end of that summer, uh, my best friend had gone back to school, girlfriend and I had broken up, and all that was left was me in the Buick. Um, I spent some time living in that Buick uh, out west, uh, didn't get a lot of writing done, and ended up coming back to Boston. And um, on, 
I don't know, a whim, a lark, I decided to take a screenwriting class, uh, a summer school extension class while I was working at this bakery in Boston called Iggy's Bread of the World. And um, what happened for me was that screenwriting is a very formal uh, art in certain ways. There, there is like a, all you have essentially is, you know, what you hear and some description of what you see. There's, there's really strict form to it. There are a lot of sort of constrictions and I found those to be really helpful to my creative process. And as soon as I started doing uh, that sort of writing, I found it actually helped me. Um, you know, there were parts of writing fiction that because it was so open, and, and, you know, uh, allowed for so much latitude, it, it actually stifled me, I felt at times. And I found my creativity was really helped by having some structure. Um, so I started writing these screenplays, and then I decided I wanted to start making um, some of those movies. You know, uh, I think the other fun little bit was I was working at this bakery, and I was selling bread at these farmer's markets in Boston. And, you know, I thought I had a nice little simple life for myself and at some point i had this crush on this girl who used to come to the farmer's market and play the guitar and uh one day this girl that i had this crush on told me that she and her friends called me bread boy and i decided i didn't want to be bread boy i wanted (laughs) something something more um and so i ended up uh you know, going back to school and, and studying uh with a couple really great Screenwriting teachers, um, Aaron Cressida Wilson, who was really helpful to me, um, and uh, Robert Creeley, who doesn't do screenwriting but is a writer, and, and those two really helped me in sort of establishing a, a creative process. And um, from that point, I started wanting to make these movies. And as you mentioned in that bio, I ended up after school moving out to LA um, to try to get a sense of how these things were really made. You know, uh, the one thing. I've had a lot of different odd jobs. Uh, you know, I worked at a bakery. I worked at a hotel as sort of a pool boy. And I worked uh, as a janitor and I worked as a prep cook. And, and the way that each one of these jobs is sort of the same is you come in and your responsibility is to sort of learn what many people at that place do. You know, when I worked at the hotel, I was supposed to shadow a lot of different people, even though all I was doing is handing out towels and get a sense of how the hotel worked. The same way at the bakery, I spent you know some time delivering the bread. I spent some time break, baking the bread. I spent some time, obviously selling it. And you know you try to learn every part of the business. And the same thing uh, on my own, I, I started doing uh, for film, which was I, I held a lot of different jobs, a lot of different positions, and got a better sense of what everyone does on set, how that all works, and and really how the process works from development through production and and into post-production and I didn't know that that's what I was doing at the time but looking back I can really see that that education has paid off for me and and allows me to have a lot of different skill sets and more importantly to be able to work with a lot of different people because I have a sense of what I'm asking them to do. Um, So I was going to say how did you segue from so we segued from uh, like novel writing into screenwriting, but your degree is actually in directing. My degree is in directing. Um, so 
Well, my first degree, my college degree is in religious studies. That's also which is also equally fairly interesting. What what was I have always wondered what it was about religious studies that had you saying this is what I want to do. Uh, I we we grew up in a town uh, outside Boston uh, that I believe I learned about the American Revolution every single year. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't think, think I learned a great deal about, you know, the rest of the world. And, and I had a really strong interest, um, maybe because of, uh, our cultural background in China, Asia, in, and in some of these sort of Eastern philosophical ideas. And so when I got to college, that was an opportunity for me to expand, um, what I was studying and really to try to figure out a worldview that made the world made sense to me. Um, you know, I, I think from a very early age, I did feel that I belonged in the world that I was living in. And I have a lot of different ideas as to why that was. Uh, I didn't necessarily feel I belonged in this family. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing a little better these days, but it, uh, it took me a long time. And part of that was about finding different ways of viewing the world. And so that's what drew me to that. And ultimately, right, that's a very similar thing to what drew me to writing, filmmaking, et cetera, is, is it's a opportunity to work out some of those feelings. It's an opportunity to, you know, create a world that does make sense. Or I also create will say that I think that, I mean, all of Harry Potter and so much of uh, YA literature and even older than that literature is about the idea that you don't belong to this family, that your real your real family somehow shows up one day. And I think I think many, many people have those feelings of isolation. And, you know, part of the whole mental health thing that um, that people have been much more open about talking about is that if if many people discuss their feelings of not belonging, then you would realize, you know what I mean, that you're sort of not alone in that sense. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you what you write is based in some of these ideas about not belonging? Because I'm thinking particularly about The Catch, which I don't know if you want to give a quick uh, plot synopsis or anything, but to me that the movie has a major theme of not belonging. Um, 100%, I think. Uh, you know, it is a film about an outsider, uh, but an outsider born into an insider family. It's, it's a set in a small fishing island off the coast of Maine, and the main character um, is a woman who was born into a fishing family and really was not, uh, uh, never felt that that was her place, and so she left. And we meet her again as she returns back uh, to this small town, and and you know there are definitely parts of that small town that are based on the small town that I grew up in, and uh, you know the feelings that I had um, about that, and and what I think. And looking back, you start to see is um, it's two sides of the same coin. It's it's one of two things. You either feel that having a strong sense of community and intermingling and, uh, you know, generations of these families who all know each other, uh, you either feel that that is uh, comforting or you feel that it's stifling. Um, and sometimes you could feel it was both. And, and so I think that that's the question for this central character. Her name is Beth. And, and that's, you know, one that maybe many of us struggle with, either within our families, within our communities. Um, 
Okay, well, so tell us a little bit, let's back up for a second about, you've been working on the catch for, I hope I'm not hyperbolizing, for like five years? Is that right? I, I don't think that's enough hyperbole. Oh. So to sort of pick up the, I ended up uh, going back to the East Coast to go to film school and um, studying directing, as you mentioned. And I think maybe in my first year, uh, there was a shooting on a small fishing island called Matinicus in northern Maine, and it was a territorial dispute between these two lobstermen, one of whom felt the other guy shouldn't be fishing in those waters or his son-in-law shouldn't. And so one guy sunk another guy's boat, and the other guy shot that guy with a shotgun. Um, you know, this the more time I spent with uh, lobstermen, fishermen in the New England area, the more you get a sense that this is not an isolated incident. So out of that actual true life story, I wrote a version of this script that was really about two guys, you know, a territorial dispute um, and, and an act of violence. Um, I put it in a drawer. Uh, you know, I, I worked on other projects. Uh, occasionally it would come out of the drawer and then, yeah, you know, I think probably at this point it is five years, maybe a little bit less, I decided in earnest to try to get this film made. And, and then we went through a lot of uh, the joy of directing, and I use the word joy very loosely, is that the actual time you get to spend directing is probably 10% of what this job is. Um, you know, a lot of it is business aspects. I mean, maybe this is the same for you in your business. You know, the amount of time you get to spend in doing the creative part is, is actually very small. Um, so you better love it and it better be worth it because the rest of the time you're talking to people, raising money, doing promotion, trying to get things organized, having things fall apart and having to reorganize them again. And, you know, it's it's a, basically like running a business. Um, and I know for me, I don't have a business background and I, I don't believe you do either, but I've had to learn on the fly how to make that work. Talk yeah. about the whole process because... Most people don't know all the steps you have to go through to get a film made. So first you have to write many iterations of the script. Many. Well, thank you, Julie's mother. I will, I will jump in on that one. Uh, it's, you know, the thing is you don't have to do some of these things. I, I, you could get a script from somebody else. It's really, um, you know, one of the other big things I think that is important as a creative person, as a person trying to get into any sort of creative career is how do you make opportunities for yourself? Um, when I came out of film school, no one was throwing a directing job on a feature for me. Uh, part of the reason I went to film school is because I worked, as I talked about, in the business for about five years in LA, and what I found is there are certain parts of the film business you can work your way up in a sort of apprenticeship situation in the camera department and the electrical department to become a director you have to make that opportunity for yourself um so you know i went to film school but it still wasn't like these offers are pouring in and so the only way that i could come up with to get that opportunity was to make it for myself and that meant i had to write a script since that writing really is my background and, and where i think a lot of my strong suit is and, and create a story that I could tell um, to demonstrate, you know, what I, I had to offer as a director. So that process took a long time because it's, um, you know, a process of refinement. 
uh, writing. You know, it's a process um, that, for those of us who really care about it, requires a great deal of um, time and, and really allowing the script to change to suit first uh, changes in my own life and in my belief about this story and ways in which the characters started to reveal themselves. And, you know, the, like I mentioned, the story was originally about two men and it became a story about one of those men's daughter. And that sort of fishing story got into the background and it really became a coming home story, not because I decided it should be, but because through the writing process, that's the way that the story went. Um, so and one of the know, things I was just going to say about the process being so long is that obviously when you first wrote the script, your first year in grad school, you're in a totally different spot than you are, you know, several years later when you take it out of a drawer, just in your own personal journey. And then, you know, in the last two years, you know, you had a, a child basically like, you know, you know, you knew that your girlfriend was pregnant and then obviously he's a year old now. And I wonder if in the editing process, because you've really been editing this during your son's, you know, lifetime, if your eye or your thoughts on the story have changed as you've become a father and you actually have been shaping the story even slightly differently from that perspective. I mean, definitely uh, whatever has happened in my life has shaped parts of the story and, and often in unexpected ways. So, you know, as I mentioned, this, this story became about a girl coming home and reconnecting with her family. And that's definitely something as you could speak to that our relationship, my relationship with you, with Julie's mom, with my uh, father, et cetera, all those things changed. I like by the way uh, that it's Julie's mom, but my father, that's oh, a nice. I want people to, <laughs> to know who we're talking about. Yeah. So, you know, it, uh, that changed what happened and the way that our relationship changed over time, like that changed the way that the story went. Um, you know, further from that, uh, you know, the story, we were meant to shoot the film uh, in the fall of 2017, uh, and things started to fall apart as they <laughs> tend to do, and, uh, you know, that was right around when our father was dying, and, um, you know, we went through that process, and, and there's a way, without giving too much away, in which that, I think, uh, finds its way into this film as well. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned the birth of my son and, uh, you know, there is a uh, questions for some of these characters about parenthood and uh, about growing up and responsibility. And, and yes, that did change what happened in the editing process. And, um, you know, all of these things sort of add up, uh, I hope, to create a richer... Uh, film that's based on uh, you know some real experience I think it's a it makes sense obviously I believe that life affects art art affects life all that stuff is true and I think that artists always put themselves into their work it is more unusual obviously for a painter to spend years working on a single piece as opposed to a filmmaker so back when I was in uh, college I remember doing a short film as an actress for a RISD student and there was some sort of she needed some sort of reshoot and I couldn't make it because of my class schedule and she said don't worry and then when I saw the final film my mind was blown because she had with one additional little set of filming managed to take things that we had already filmed and change the entire story so that I had become the bad guy in the movie and it was and I was suddenly it's I think that's when I first became aware of how much editing 
is an art form in itself and that you can really take something that's been filmed and you could have six editors look at it and they could come out with six totally different movies based on how they put it together and stuff. So I know that your editing process has been long uh, and involved a multitude of people. And I wonder if you'd like to talk about that because I've always been so interested about how, you know, you've had complete control of the script to a certain extent as a writer. Then you've had complete control of sort of what's going on when you're filming it as a director. But then you get into the editing process. What happens to that control? So I think a lot of uh, smarter, more accomplished people than I have, have said that they're, you know, you write the film three times in the writing process, in the filmmaking and in the editing. Um, I would say that that idea of control works slightly differently. Um, you know, the wonder of writing is, yes, you have absolute control. Everything works exactly the way you want it to. Uh, there's no such thing as going over budget. I have whatever I want in that script, and it's totally fine. When you make the film, that control is gone. Uh, the notion that as a director I'm able to control everything that takes place on set, um, if that is an idea you come with to set, you are going to be beyond disappointed, I would say, deeply, deeply upset. Um, and if you decide, like I did, that for your first feature film, at the budget we were working at, that you're gonna shoot half of the scenes on the open ocean, uh, any idea of control that was left remaining will be stamped out of you. And, and you know, the wonder of shooting on the water is, uh, you're shooting a boat that's moving because of the water and, and the, the wind, you're on another boat, that's also moving perhaps in a different direction because of the water and the wind. The weather is doing whatever it has decided to do. And so really what you're doing is responding and reacting. And, and that's really what your responsibility is, is sort of twofold, is to take what you had in mind, remember what excited you about this scene, about this movie, about this character, and hold on to that kernel, but allow the details of it to change. And, and part of that, you know, one of the best things that came out of my working on a lot of sets is I got to watch a lot of directors work. And they work very differently. And you know, the ones that I really respected and watched, um, you know, what they were able to do was take an idea from anywhere. It didn't have to come from them. There was a lack of ego. So those ideas could come from an actor, they could come from the key grip, but the point was that they were flexible and they were willing to adjust. And so when you get on set, that's really what it's all about, is being able to keep things, keep in mind what your intent is, but being willing to be flexible about how to get there. Um, and that, I think, encourages an environment where the actors feel valued and they feel that their input is being taken and you really get a better performance out of them. It encourages an environment where the crew feels, again, involved and, and there's no, you know, the, the sad part of writing is it's incredibly lonely. You have a great amount of control, but it's incredibly lonely. But when you get into the production process, it's very collaborative, or it can be. This is sort of up to you, and it, it, it is a tone that's set. And I think at its best, it is you bring in a group of people you believe in, who you believe have a point of view to share and uh, ideas to give, and then you roll those ideas together and try to create something that that works so there's so much here um, i want then, to talk about because sure. so the one so one i will just say like i think obviously uh for a lot of people who are listening who make or 
art by themselves is not a collaboration and so there's less of a concern with some of the um uh, leadership issues, but I will say that the idea of flexibility, and this is something I teach my students all the time, which is sometimes you have to let go of your original idea of what something is. And I think that certainly happens in the editing process for you is like, you may have seen it this way, but this is what you have. And this is how it has to work and being flexible and willing to sort of move around. And, and again, I like that idea that you said about just remembering what excited you originally. And so that you don't have to be attached to certain things. There was a playwright I knew who one of the things she said is you have to kill your babies. Those things you love just because you think they're cool or they're so neat, you have to get rid of them because they're not serving you. You know, you have to really think about what the bigger picture is. And then the second thing I want to talk about is I listened to a podcast last night. It was an interview with Hal Runkle on the Story Brand podcast, and he talks about the commonalities between parenting and leadership. And mm. a lot of it is what you're talking about which is you can't control anybody. And if having a child teaches you one thing on earth, it's that you can't control another human being. But what you can do is you can teach them to control themselves and teach them, and by controlling themselves, I mean to understand that the choices that they make have consequences and that's their choice, right? And so with a very little kid, you know, it's like, you have to give them sort of this time and place thing, which is like, you don't have a choice. We're going to preschool, you know, in 12 minutes. What you do have a choice about is whether you put on your clothes and we go skipping out the door hand in hand and listen to whatever you want on the radio in the car, or you can scream and cry and I will take you, pick you up in your diaper, force you into the car seat and we will be grumpy the whole way that we're there and that's your choice right and I can't control your behavior and when you let go of the feeling the need to control them and just like set out the parameters first of all you're a happier parent is the idea but then the way that this trickles into leadership is that the children then learn right that they have the ability to actually decide how things go to a certain extent right that they get to decide some of those things. It was anyway, it was a very interesting podcast and it did make me think a lot about what you're saying in terms of like, you know, not having an ego, realizing that you are not gonna be able to like be, uh, dictate exactly how people are gonna do something. People aren't puppets, they aren't machines, you know, and that you have to trust in them that they are going to do the job and bring their own, I mean, one of the most exciting things about collaboration is that people don't think the way that you do and that mm. you have the opportunity to get a different perspective. I mean, I think that's one of the things I say about leadership all the time is leaders are people who are smart enough to gather people smarter than them around them. If you are the smartest yeah, person that, in the room, you're in the wrong room. I don't think it means you have to have the best ideas. It just means you need to be able to see when the best idea is revealed. Yes, absolutely. I think it's a little bit like a quarterback being able to see the field, right? And be flexible about the plays and all that kind of stuff, which is either you're a person who, they always talk about this, who can stand there and who can actually see what's happening, or you're the person who stands back there and just has to go with the plan because you can't actually see what's going on. Why are you, you're, so we're on video, so I can see that he's laughing at me right now. Well, if we're going to go with the sports metaphor, I think what we're talking about is uh, they say that, We'll talk about our friend, Bill Belichick. So uh, many coaches are system coaches, which means they need players that work in their system. And the thing that they've always said about Bill Belichick is he changes his system to adapt to the players he has. And isn't that what we're trying to do is trying to make it work, you know, 
ultimately I can create a character in my mind. I can have a sense of what they should look like, how they should talk, you know, all of these things. Where am I going to find this person who is exactly what I had in my mind? Or, or you know, what am I doing to an actor by trying to force them to do exactly what I saw? You know, isn't it better that the characters, which they did in this film, start to change to meet the actors, to meet the actors' vision of those people? And, and the other thing, you know, I've found by making other short films is sometimes the actor will tell me something about a, a bio they've come up with for a backstory of the character, and I, I'll be blown away by how interesting, how insightful it is. And, and you know, isn't that the goal ultimately is to find a way to make these – there's no way you as a writer or as a director, I think, can take – I think we had 20 – maybe somewhere between 20 and 25 speaking roles that I'm going to have the, the intimate knowledge of the backstory of 25 characters in this movie. I'd love to tell you that that's the truth, but each of those actors could have a backstory for their character that's rich and full and understands how they got where they are and that somehow adds something to that performance. And, and shouldn't we be encouraging that sort of creativity? I, I do. So I, I want to go back to the thing you said just about how... Uh, Bill Belichick. Well, no, I actually... I Yes, well, adapting to sort of what you have and like that actors weren't necessarily what you had pictured in your head, but they brought something different. And so the part, right, evolved to encapsulate who they were and what they were bringing with them. And I specifically remember this in your short, The Colonial... Was it the colonial? Did I get that right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. That uh, there were was an actor who spoke French, which right, which hadn't been part of the original idea, and it sort of evolved to be part of the character. Yes. yes. Okay. So there, I had a idea of, of this short, and in fact, we cast it, and it just by happenstance. One of the actors was from Haiti, and one of the actors uh, was from Paris, so they both spoke French. Um, as their native language. And so I actually changed the casting and switched roles for two of the, the actors um, so that these two actors would have a sort of shared history um, that was private and secretive and they would be able to speak in French uh, privately. And it would just by, you know, the, the you wouldn't have to explain anything to understand that they had that shared history. There would be no exposition necessary. It was a shorthand for them and for the audience. And that's the sort of thing, you know, the same thing happens with locations. There are locations in the catch that, uh, again, were not what we had imagined and, and were not what I had written. But when you saw them, you said, oh, I see how this could work here. I see if we, uh, you know, rewrite this scene, how it's going to work here and not just work here, but how it's going to be better than we had originally imagined. It's that creative um, opportunity. That's exactly it. And it, it's just, uh, again, it's, it's your willingness to be flexible and respond. And, you know, I, uh, I think working at, um, on an independent film, that's really, it, it's working within the boundaries. The same way I saw, talked about screenwriting at the beginning the boundaries can either be seen as obstructions or as opportunities for creativity uh, in screenwriting or in filmmaking or quite frankly in editing when you only have what you have. You know, that story about the, the reshoots, I mean, look, wouldn't it be fun to reshoot and get everything I feel that I miss? But sometimes it's, it's maybe the same for you. 
we have certain raw materials and the question is like how do you take those raw materials and make something that you believe in with them and isn't the limitation of the material sometimes helpful to your creative I process. agree and I think that goes back to the thing you said about screenwriting writing as formal and having some of that form really helped you get a hold of it I mean one of the things that they say about all those writers who write their first great American novel is that almost always the novel is 200 pages too long right because you don't have any uh, you don't have the budget constraints you don't have you know limitations and so you are able to just write 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 some uh, most of the time you don't even have a deadline because you certainly don't have a publisher you know what i mean who's pushing you for a manuscript because you haven't ha gotten a publisher yet and i think it actually makes me think of some of these huge hollywood movies where you think you know oh it has all these amazing actors and amazing director amazing producers like how did it go so wrong and a lot of times i think it's because people got exactly what they wanted and it is kind of a be careful what you wish for thing because sometimes if you're able to do all the things that you want to do it really wasn't a good idea and being a little more scrappy finding out a few more ways you know what i mean to make it work can be uh lead to a much better result yeah i think there's sort of a fine line and, and this is maybe something we're touching on in the editing process and i i can only really speak to my experience um in filmmaking is, you know, sometimes when a movie goes awry, it's what you said, which is uh, perhaps too much free reign, although that's never something that I would be opposed to. And the other side <laughs> is maybe too, too, too many cooks in the kitchen. It's like too much noting. And that's really the experience that I uh, drew from was making a couple of short films when I said, like, remembering what the kernel of excitement was for you. Um, Notes and that process can be incredibly helpful if they're the right notes from the right people. Um, taking all notes is is a very dangerous position and what you can end up with is a bland product. If everyone is happy, that's probably not a good thing. Well, I was going to say there's um, a, a playwriting thing. So uh, for people who don't know, I worked in the theater for a little more than a decade and I worked with a lot of writers. And one of the things that I really remember talking to a lot of writers a metaphor that we talked about all the time was the idea that when you write a play, you have a shopping cart and various things go into it. Right. And people also like to put things in your shopping cart. Every actor, every reader, all your friends, like everybody puts stuff in their shopping cart. The problem is when it comes time to pay the bill, you're the one who's paying the bill. So you need to figure out what you actually want in your shopping cart and throw out everything that you don't because it's yours. And so again, I think it's that idea of take input, that's fine, but in the end, remember that like you're the one paying the bill, it's your name, it's your responsibility, like you've got to kick out the rest of it. And I think that's a great metaphor, obviously for filmmaking, but certainly for any kind of creative pursuit, which is I think we run a lot of times into the thing about like, do you like this? Is it good? Is it finished? Like, what do you think? And uh, as I always say, like opinions are useful as data, but in the end, I think you have to trust yourself because if you create for what other people like, you will never be sure if it's right because you haven't developed within yourself, do you know what I mean, a sense of what is good or what it is that you like. I know that you did some um, screenings where you did ask for feedback from people and i'm wondering how much that influenced the final um editing process 
Yeah, so I, and I have heard you talk a lot about that, which is basically making art for yourself. And that's, I think, true across medium. And, um, you know, the thing with our semi-informal test screenings and, you know, we're really appreciative of all the people who showed up for those is um, the number one thing that we tried to get out of them was, is this confusing? Sometimes it's okay for something to be confusing. Sometimes it's desired, um, but plenty of times it's not. And, and, you know, one of the issues is then does it take you out of the story? Um, so that's really the big thing we're looking for is not just, uh, is, is not do you like it, do you not like it? It's is it confusing? Um, and if it is and you get a sort of um, loose majority or a high number of people saying that it is, then that might be something to be addressed. The rest of the stuff, I'll be quite honest, I was most excited we did a screening where a lot of the feedback we got and we did these little sheets said, I don't like this character. Most We had a, like a likability thing and they did not like this character, but they all then answered to like, how much do you want to see what she does next? Very high scores on what do you want to see? And like to me, that's perfect. I don't care if you like the characters. I don't care if you like the film, no offense. But the question is, are you interested to know what happens next? Are you invested in story? I think that um, and I, I think, think the uh, dichotomy thing between like like it, don't like it, people have put a lot of value in that. And I agree with you that I think, you know, your question about is it confusing is a more important one in terms of, you know, you can't deal with people's taste, but you can deal with clarity. You know, and what I think is uh, very true, like I'm about to teach this boot camp um, course about uh, design principles and one and elements. And one of the things about it is trying to learn to be able to talk about why something either works for you or doesn't rather than a like hate relationship, you know. Um, and I think also I remember somebody saying once like, the worst thing in the world is to be that person who nobody remembers at a party, so to speak, like, or who mm. nobody remembers in life or in the meeting or wherever you want to talk about to have the most unmemorable painting in a gallery to have the film that everybody like thinks is fine, but doesn't think about two minutes later. Like you either want people to be like, that was great. That was horrible. You need them to have some kind of reaction to it. A great strong reaction. You know, that's ultimately hopefully from an emotional point of view is I think the goal um, to what we're trying to accomplish and and uh, it sounds like it's the same for you I, I do uh, wonder at, at what point does Julie's mom chime in with the nuggets <laughs> of uh, life life wisdom that I've heard I so feel like about. the two of you have received so many free nuggets of life wisdom that I don't really need to jump in here although I but think you've missed these are for the, the rest of the listeners about this film, which is it's the film debut of a brand new star. It's true. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that. You know, this is, uh, you know, you mentioned leadership and control. And one of those important uh, qualities is remembering the little people that got you there. You know, <laughs> when you get to the top, you got to remember. And sometimes those little people. Look at all the footprints on my back. It's true. They're, they're little old people who helped uh, carry you along. And um, so, yes, they're, those uh, who decide to sign in to watch the movie, it'll, it will be streaming um, next week, October 22nd to 29th. The, the Austin Film Festival is virtual this year, so it can be watched anywhere. Um, the tickets are $10. And, and they may 
get a glimpse of an up and coming, uh, not so young actress uh, who, who may be a member of this podcasting team. Um, and, and you can get to see her debut. How was, mom, uh, how was the experience, mom? How was the experience? Actually, uh, I found it was fun because I only had one line and people were very nice because the mother of the director, you know, it's almost, it's like being the queen. Nobody wants to offend me. So they were very nice. And I will say this, it it is not making a film. Also, one of the things that's different maybe from being an artist is you can, with not too much outlay of money, make a piece of art. You can't make a film without a lot of people financially supporting you. I don't and know. Matthew and Adam Barnosky made some pretty great movies in our basement. True. That's true. Um, and I may have to haul those out. The So you have to feed people. You have to, you know, move things around to different locations. You have so many people working on it. So I, I think that... It's really difficult. And to be able to watch your child do this complicated thing is really fascinating. You know, I watch you, I watch your shows, I watch your podcasts or or your videos, and I am very impressed by that. And I have the same thing with him. It It is great to be able to see your child have this independent creative business professional life and to see how other people regard them it is a wonderful thing well i'll say two things that i think are important which is one you know matthew mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast that we um grew up in a household in which we were encouraged to be creative and to try different things and i think that's absolutely true but i think it extrapolates beyond the fact that we both ended up in creative careers I think it also extends into something that I'm very interested in lately, which is what is the idea of thinking creatively, which gets back to, again, what Matthew said about, you know, being able to let go of original intentions and being able to be a person who thinks around an idea, maybe in a new way. I mean, in the end, I think like what is fresh and new in filmmaking has to be that you come at a story such as I don't belong from a fresh perspective, from a creative new point of view about it, right? That's what makes things interesting to us is it's something that's familiar and yet unfamiliar at the same time. And so I also think even just thinking about how, I mean, I don't know how to say this, but the film looks really expensive. Uh, and knowing the budget, I know that you guys, it's its like a magic trick, how you were able to do all that water filming is amazing and like it's so beautiful and I think that that you know is also about like working creatively again within the bumpers the boundaries the whatever it is that you have I mean I I even I know that in all of the post-production and when you were saying like the informal test groups and all that kind of stuff and you know running a business without necessarily having a business background like All of that to me is about being creative at the very, uh, at the very, very root of creativity, which is not about like drawing with a stick or anything like that, but it's about finding a way to get something done, even though you do not have the traditional tools, you know? And I think that's really important. Well, there's something else. 
which is Please. both in getting in running any kind of business in getting your art out there whatever it is human relationships really make a difference because if you are a decent person and other people feel that you respect them and appreciate them and if they feel that they want to help you they will go above and beyond many people will and I know that that's happened to you Julie and I know that in making this film it happened with Matthew that people want to work with nice people nobody wants to go to work and be miserable every day so that that brings up a, a point and and it sort of speaks to what you said Julie which is within the limitation things are free not being an asshole is is free you can anyone can do that at any time uh, many people choose not to but <laughs> You can, and, and one of the things that happened, you know, with the way this film came together and the writing process was I did a lot of research. And what that research looked like, some of it was in books, but some of it was I talked to some lobstermen and got them to take me out on boats. And they always say, write what you know, but the thing is you can expand what you know. That research was free. I just asked people, could you show me how to do this? And then you start talking to them and you ask them questions and they tell you about their life and they share stories with you that are better than the stories you would have come up with on your own. And I did that in Cape Cod and I did it up in Maine and ultimately we did it in Gloucester and Rockport where we shot the film. Um, and then the personal relationship stuff, you know, the reason we were able to achieve a lot of things on this film was because of those personal relationships. One was because I had a DP director of photography who is a friend of mine from film school. That's a relationship, you know, that happened time because we were just friends and, and he was willing to go above and beyond to accomplish what we needed to accomplish. I mean, he was still working on this film two weeks ago and we theoretically wrapped much longer before that. And, you know, he, uh, his name is JP Wakayama Carey. He really, uh, you know, elevated this film because of his skill level and what he was willing to do, um, which was beyond what we would have gotten from somebody else who was not a friend of mine. Um, and then, you know, the other part, you know, my first job I ever got in L.A. Um, was sort of a friendly job I was given by a producer as a PA one day working on a film. It was, I think, the first week I got there. It was a miserable degree day and uh, on this movie and, you know, running around not knowing had any idea how I was supposed to do what I was supposed to do. But I met a lot of great people in the film and I kept working for that producer over time. Um, every time I would go visit that producer later on, uh, when I didn't live in LA, I would have to make an appointment with her assistant, I would chat with her assistant, and again, just don't be an asshole. And, and that assistant ended up becoming a producer on this film. That's how I met her, was just because we had a friendly uh, and and that was all that it took for over time. She read the script and she was interested in this being her first uh, production as, as a lead producer. And so like the way that people talk about networking, and I'm sure it's the same in your world, is that some sort of amorphous concept and I should be giving my business card out to people. But the real way it works is you don't be a jerk. You talk to people, you get to know them, and then maybe something will work out You know, if you touch and, and you start sort of developing along the same track. Um, and then sort of the last one, and, and you know, we've talked about this and maybe um, – 
you could share this article about about Bob is, uh, you know, we met some really wonderful uh, local fishermen on this shoot. And, and the way that happened um, was just the same as the way these other things happen. I was walking around the docks. I, I spent, if you don't have money, you got to spend time, you know. You got to spend time. So we spent a lot of time in the town getting to know people, talking to people, asking questions, not being afraid to ask for something. That's an important lesson. Uh, it's an important lesson for fundraising, locations, anything related to this project. And really, I think any creative pursuit is you just can't be afraid to ask. You know, all they can say is no and big deal. You just keep moving. So, you know, I met this guy one day on the docks. Um, he was coiling this rope and tying knots in it at certain lengths uh, into this bucket. And we talked for 20 minutes. I don't think he looked at the rope a single time. He could just measure it out by feel and just do the knots without looking. And so I had this talk with the guy, and he was sort of suspicious of us. He thought we were a Hollywood production, um, which we most definitely were not. And you know, I chatted, and, and the farthest I could get with him was he said, okay, why don't you come tomorrow and we'll go out on the water. That was it. And so I showed up at the time he told me to show up. You know, that's the other half of the battle is just showing up and saying yes. And, and I was on the boat with him, and I got to know him a little bit. And then, you know, this happened a few more times. This is all during the pre-production scouting process. And eventually, you know, uh, we started to earn some and, and he really opened a lot of doors for us. He introduced to a lot of people. He found us locations. He found us boats. Um, he drove the boats. He became an integral part of this production. And that, again, it wasn't because of money. It wasn't because we had any sort of name recognition. It was just purely because he was a guy who was interested in, in making a new friend. And, and that's ultimately what happened is we made a lot of new friends in this town. We had people give us free food. We had people give us free place to stay. We had people who really helped us. And again, showing up, asking, and uh, you know, just trying to, to give these people back what we could. I, I think that uh, there are a lot, obviously, a lot of like life things to extrapolate here, but certainly there are some art things to extrapolate out. Just again, about like I say to this to people about developing a daily practice. It doesn't have to be long, but that's about showing up. That you just show up every day to try something, you know. And again, like being afraid to ask for me is always things about like. So you want a creative opportunity. You were said at the beginning of the podcast, like you have to make creative opportunities for yourself a directing job isn't just coming around and being handed to you and so I know that like I wanted uh, I ran into a, a, a company that made foam stamps and I just said to them can I design some foam stamps for you and she thought about it and she said sure I ran into a company that made stencils and I said can I design stencils for you and she said sure you know and I've had lots of no's along the way too but I think like you don't get anything by hanging back and waiting to be invited to the party like you just have to show up and you have to be passionate enough about what you do and believe in it enough and love it enough that you're you're okay with understanding that not everybody is going to you know what I mean be there in your vision of you and how you're going to see the world and then and I do also think I this think whole the, thing, sorry yeah just the, on that point you made about having a practice, you know, it's sort of twofold and it's definitely, I think, true for writing too is I, 
waiting for opportunity is not going to work and waiting for creativity is not going to work. Mm. My job is to show up at my desk at a certain time to sit there for a set amount of time, whether I get one page written or a hundred pages, whether it's the greatest page you've ever read or it's a piece of shit, but my job was to show up there and then to just let go of the results. And, and both that helps me accomplish things, but it twofold helps with the second thing you said, which is saying to somebody, I can do this. And the only way that I get out of that imposter syndrome and I really start to understand and fully believe for myself that I can is because I put in those other hours. I put in the hours to make myself able to say, you know, I, I could do this job, you know, give me an opportunity. So that is a very important thing to remember is part of that is that 10,000 hours, which is like, I'm going to develop some skills over that time and I'm going to become more valuable. But you know, my waiting for that opportunity is, is just not going to come. Yeah, well, I love the thing that you said about that. You can expand what you know. You you don't have to just live, you know, with what you know. You can expand what you know. And I think so much of that is about curiosity, genuine curiosity. So talking about networking, if you just start handing your business cards out to people, nobody wants them you know, but it, are you actually having a real conversation with somebody? Are you actually invested in learning about them? I, you know, I used to tell, say this thing to friends of mine who would like in college, you know, maybe come and spend a night at our house. Uh, and I would say, listen, my mother's going to make you cry. And they were like, why is she mean? I was like, it's not that she's mean. She'll just keep asking you questions. And then at some point you'll find yourself, you know, expressing your like deepest, darkest secret to her and you'll end up crying. And everybody's used like, used to call it the interrogation. Yeah. Everybody's uh, like, no, 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 not me. And then, sure enough, everybody cries. Um, and I think <laughs> there is, there is, a thing, and they come back, and they come back. <laughs> but people can tell whether or not you're genuinely interested. So it's like if you went on the, out on the lobster boats as kind of a thing of like, eh, I'm here, I'm sightseeing, I'm enjoying a boat ride. I think they would have had a very different reaction to you than you actually asking questions about like, how does this work? How does that happen? You know, oh, tell me about that story. Tell me about what happened. Because I think that, you know, we talk a lot about authenticity in terms of like social media and advertising and marketing and blah, blah, blah. But in the end, what authenticity is, is actually being whatever you try to represent yourself as. So, and I think as a filmmaker, and even if you had turned out to be a novelist or later turned out to be a novelist or who knows, in the end, you're a storyteller. And to be a storyteller is to be someone who is interested in people and who is interested in exploring, you know, the human condition for it's trite to say it. But in the end, I mean, I think that is so much what being an artist of any kind is, is trying to say, this is how I see the world. This is, this is, this is a perspective. This is my perspective. And this is, you know, tr this is how I sort of make the world make sense to me is this is my framework. And if you were to look at the body of work from any, you know, uh, playwright, painter, filmmaker, sculptor, I, even a dancer, I think you would see a point of view or at least of any great one, I think you would see a point of view. I think that's right. I think that, you know, that was something you sort of talked about before about, you know, a film that feels a bit muddied is, is do you lose that point of view? And, and, you know, again, just speaking from my own process, what that means is um, from the beginning to the end, that point of view may shift over the many years of writing over the, you know, the production process, the post-production, it, it definitely shifted, but that's good. 
as long as you have a point of view, it's okay for it to shift. It's okay for it to change. And it's okay for you to take in new stimuli. And that's really what you're looking for out of any sort of research project process out of asking those questions is stimulate me. Like give me some new material. When we talk about like when you get in the editing room, all you have is the material that you shot, but that's, you know, the summation of all of the material you've put into it. That's a summation of that writing process, of those interviews, of that learning, of the backstory you figured out about these actors. And then you have that stuff, you know, you're giving yourself more creative opportunity. You're giving yourself uh, more choices if you are bringing in more new information. That is always a good thing. So speaking of more information and speaking of choices, I want people to make the choice to go and see, well, not well, we get to see it from your living room, but nonetheless, to see the catch. So give us all the details. How can people get tickets? So I believe you're going to share it. Uh, but if not, you know, we are on all social channels uh, and maybe you'll consider that, share those links, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and we have a, a link up there. But as uh, the catch, the film, the catch, it has a few. So Instagram, it's at the underscore film. I believe it's the same on Twitter. And then the Facebook page is at the catch feature film. Um, you can go to my website, matthewbalzer.com. And the tickets are $10. Uh, They're available right now. The film will premiere next Thursday, the 22nd at 7 p.m. Central Time. Uh, it will be available for one week during the festival on demand. Once you start the film, you have 24 hours to finish it, but you could start it at any time. Um, there is a Q&A that is included with the film when you watch it. We'll also be doing some events, live events around uh, the week of, of the film. Um, and uh, there, we are all available both for a, a narrative jury award and also for the audience award. So if you do watch, we'd love it if you'd vote for us. Um, for an independent film like ours, it makes a huge difference uh, to get that sort of recognition. Please you know, tell your friends, uh, contact us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and, uh, I think that that's all the information. Yeah. I will just reiterate and say, and because I'm your sister and not you, I can say this, which is it makes a huge difference if you take the time to vote for the catch. And, uh, I know that Matthew would really appreciate it. Mom and I all, we both appreciate it. Um, but that would be a wonderful gift to all of us. So I would really appreciate that. Uh, so I'll just ask you the very short question, which is, uh, what's next? Well, we have a few things uh, in development. At the moment, I'm going to go feed my son lunch. I think that's that's the next one for me. That's um, a but, one. you know, there's a there's a, a TV uh, idea that we're, we're working on in development and another film and, you know, really... The other thing I would say is, uh, you know, now having made this opportunity for myself, um, I still can't sit around waiting for Hollywood or whoever to come knocking on my door. And, and that's the important thing to remember is you just have to keep grinding and you have to keep making yourself available and, you know, working on your craft and your process. And, and I sort of said it once, but I'll say it again. It's like you better love what you do because at the end of the day, if you don't love the process of it, um, you know, there's a lot of difficult, painful, uncomfortable, uh, challenging parts to any creative field. 
So, you know, the, the one thing that I know that I have is I'm going to be able to go uh, sit down at my desk, start writing. And I love that process. And I love getting into something new and, and able to start working on those characters. And I will say that in the future, if people aren't interested in investing in one of your projects, that's always an opportunity, that an, an opportunity that they can take a wonderful creative opportunity. I'm sure they can contact you <laughs> yes, at your website. Feel, feel free to contact contact me through my website for any financial contributions uh, you would like to make <laughs> or any, any business opportunities. I mean, honestly, the other thing is feel free to contact me through my website for uh, any sort of collaborations you're interested in doing. I'm always interested in meeting new people and and I do think that you know that's something else that I've found is there are a lot of parts of the filmmaking process and and other people's you know I've worked on music videos and I've worked on sort of other other forms uh, that I think uh, you know I'd be open to working on some more like art pieces I mean I made that video that we we didn't touch on for uh, the music and arts uh, which was a bit of a found footage uh, documentary with uh, some new stuff that we shot. It was about uh, our there's collection that um, it's now sort of playing online at the Academy Museum. Um, I, I'm interested in in doing fun and interesting projects, and and I'm happy to talk to anybody about an, an idea they have. And I was going to say, like, there's actually in your business some room for graphic design and all kinds of stuff like that. You know. 100% the art department is, is a sort of wide open and, and we definitely have run to, you know, I've had a couple of amazing posters made by some really talented graphic designers and, you know, we had some people working on set who really do a lot of more formal um, classic art uh, training backgrounds. Um, you know, there's definitely music and uh, other, other parts to this process that, that require people with specialized skill sets. Okay, so it's uh, time for us to wrap up. And uh, as always, you can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. And we'd love to hear from you. So send us an email or leave us a comment. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or you can mention us on Facebook or Instagram. And that always helps other people find the show. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.